Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. I wanna talk to you just briefly, and then we're gonna get in the altar and pray. I wanna talk to you about what happens in church. What happens in church. I love being in church. And part of the reason why I love being in church, I love seeing people, I love hearing the stories, I love just what happens in the church, but the church is more than a meeting. The church is an encounter with God that is transformational. It transforms us. We're different when we leave than when we came. This is why you made the right decision. You're watching online. You made the right decision to be, to give this time to the Lord and say, I believe that as I'm in his presence, things are going to happen in my life that wouldn't happen otherwise. And I'm going to be different, eternally different, because I spent time in his presence tonight. Church has that kind of sanctifying effect. And I've said it many times, I can tell a difference on Thursday morning. When I get up, I can just sense a couple of weeks ago, uh, I came out for my prayer time. I prayed down in the basement and I came up and Debbie just in a few moments said, the hand of the Lord is on you in a unique way. And I can feel it from the get-go from when I woke up. And it was almost like a carryover from the Wednesday night prayer meeting. That when we're in the presence of the Lord, things happen that are supernaturally significant in our life. You might be new to the prayer meeting. You might be new to church. I'm just, I, I think it's really important. All of us, I think, would, if we were taking a quiz or a test or answering the question, we would agree to that mentally. But I think it's really important that we understand it to be true experientially and from our heart. That things happen in the presence of the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 26 and verse 8, I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. He's saying, I love to be in your presence. I love to be in your house. I love to be in the place where you're worshiped. I'm not saying God doesn't touch us in our own personal prayer time because he does. And that's a very important part of our Christian growth and development. But that doesn't replace what happens here. And this doesn't replace what happens there. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord. And I know as well, there are some people and I, and at times when I hear uh, different people say it, and I, I'm thinking of ministers who say, you know, a building's a building, a building doesn't matter. I don't buy that line of thinking. And the reason why is because when we've, whenever we bought a piece of ground, we've walked around it, we prayed circles around it. Here's what we're praying, that the presence of God would be here in a powerful way. That's what we want. Uh, we pray that, that when people drive by on the highway, they'll sense the presence of God. We've had people come off the highway who had never been to the church, who didn't know anybody in the church, who came because they said something told me the answer to my life is in this place. I can remember leading a, a, a truck driver whose rig was parked outside, leading him to the Lord in the, in the atrium. He came in, I said, can I help you? He said, yeah, I need a lot of help. He went on to tell me his story led him to the Lord. I said, why did you stop here? I said, I just felt the answer was here. That's the presence of the Lord. 
What I love about the church, I mean, the history of the church is such that, that the presence of the Lord has uniquely been in this place. I think that's one of the things that has caused the church to grow like it has. Now listen, when I talk about James River, I love this place and, and I can only speak about this place because this is the place I've been for 30 years. So I'm not making comparative, I'm not making competitive statements, I'm not saying this is the only place this is happening, so please don't read that into it. But I can answer for what I see happening here, right? So I'm just talking about what happens here. I'm not saying it can't happen anywhere else and doesn't happen anywhere else. Are you with me? Okay. But there's something about the hand of the Lord on this church. I mean, when Debbie and I visited the church, three months before we were elected as pastors, we dropped our kids off for a family to babysit. We went down to Branson, spent the weekend in Branson. We were late getting back. We had to sit. We, I should say had to. It's such a privilege to go to Sunday night church. And so we were sitting in Sunday night church. And it was our only our first time to be at James River. And it was over by the tattoo parlor on, on Republic Road. And uh, so we're in their little room, not very many people in there. And I, I suppose there are 30 people there on a Sunday night. And we get in there, and from the beginning, from the minute we're there, Debbie is crying. I mean, she is just crying. And she's just weeping and at times shaken. And, you know, you're thinking, I'm thinking these people don't know me. And, and they're thinking, what has he done to her? You know, I mean, you, you know, like you're thinking that because it's a little group and all the eyes are on you. Like, so we get in the car and she's like, can you believe that place? The presence of God is so thick in that place. It's like you can cut it with a knife. It's true. Because I can remember when we, were, when we were trying out for the church and, and Debbie's like, are you going to take it? I said, I don't know. It, the hand of God is so obviously on those people, his presence so real in that place. My concern, if that doesn't stay that way, they're going to say we had a really good thing till he came. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I mean, and I say that sincerely because the hand of the Lord, and, and commonly people will say, I came in and, and I started to weep. And that's men and women who will say, you know, the hand of the Lord was here. It's on this place. This is a place where his presence is. And that's true if you're watching online. Uh, I mean, all of us know, I mean, Debbie and I, we were on vacation. This was in November and we're watching online. And as we're watching online, we're actually having breakfast at a restaurant by the ocean. And as we're sitting there, it's Debbie, Savannah and I, and Debbie and Savannah are just weeping. And I mean, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm very moved emotionally as well. I'm not weeping like they are. Uh, I mean, which is great if I did, but... Um, I'm just saying the presence of the Lord, you can fill it right through the online. Yeah. It's amazing. I was like, this is crazy. The hand of God is coming right through the internet to the place where we're sitting. It's the hand of God. It's, it's what he's saying. I love your sanctuary, the place where your glory dwells. James River's been a place of presence. And I, and I think over the years that has, thankfully, it has continued and we're in a season where the presence is very, very real. So that when you come in, I mean, there's just times like Sunday morning, I'm walking down the hallway. Instantly as I'm walking down the hallway, I'm walking to where the pastor's prayer is, I can sense the presence of the Lord. I don't ever remember a time quite like that, whereas I was in conversation and when it paused, I was like, Wow, the Lord, and it moved me, and I went into the pastor's prayer area in Clark Chapel, and you could sense the presence of the Lord in an unusually powerful way. 
And that's what, when you're in his sanctuary, the presence of God, he's here. He's, his hand is, is on this place, but his presence is in every room in this place. His presence is in the kids area, in the early childhood area, in the youth area, and, and it's at the different campuses. I mean, all that to say, when we're in his sanctuary, there is a tangible presence of the Lord that is here. So why are you making such a big deal out of this? Because we're not just coming to go through the motions here. We're not just in here playing games. We're just not in here doing what we do on a Wednesday night. We're in here in the presence of the Lord, encountering his presence, interacting with his presence, being touched by his presence, being ministered to by his presence. It's very, very real. Can't see it, but it's real. It's what happens in church. You know, it's interesting. The Bible mentions several houses of God. There's, the, there's Solomon's temple. Before that, there's the tabernacle that they carry around through the desert and the wilderness. And then they take it and set it up at Shiloh. And then eventually David plans for the construction of a temple and Solomon builds the temple. And then after that, the temple's destroyed uh, hundreds of years later. And then during the prophetic era of Haggai, the temple's rebuilt. It's not what it was, but it's still a temple and the presence of God is there. And then there's the Herodian temple that Herod the Great built during the time of Christ and Jesus. We know the presence of God was in the temple because Jesus was in the temple. Wherever he was, there was the presence of God. What's interesting though is the first mention of the house of God is in the book of Genesis. And it's in Genesis 28. And so let's read it here quickly. It's the story of Joseph as he's fleeing from his brother Esau. He cheated to get the blessing, which gave him, you know, not only a double portion of the inheritance, but gave him spiritual significant blessing, spiritually significant blessing on his life. And Esau said, when dad dies, I'm going to kill you for doing that. So Jacob's mom says, hey, you got to get out of here till Esau cools off. When he cools off, I'll send for you. You can come back. So he takes off. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Here's what's interesting to me. He's not the most upstanding guy at, at this particular time. He's a cheater. And he's a 60-year-old man. Don't think of a teenager having done a teenage thing and running off. This is a 60-year-old man who cheated family out of their inheritance. On the other hand, he is a man who values the things of God. A bit of a paradox, you'll agree. That it's possible there are people here tonight, you're here because there's something inside you that values the presence of the Lord. At the same time, you're not really walking with God. Here's what happens so many times then. People say, you know, I want to be in his presence, but I'm not really living for him like I should. And then the devil beats up on somebody and says, well, because you're not living for him like you should, how can you expect to, to receive anything from God? You're really wasting your time. And so they spend their whole time in church having this battle with the devil. I mean, here's Jacob and he's not really doing the deal with God. There's nothing about his life that you say, wow, that's really awesome. 
There's a lot of things you say, you know, that's, that's Jacob, that's not very cool. But here he is, he's, he's fleeing. He has a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching up to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. That's where some of you are tonight. I mean, I'm being serious. God is here, and you, until we started talking about this, you're like, yeah, maybe he is. God is here. You might not be aware of it. Your awareness or, or lack of awareness doesn't, isn't the determinative factor in the presence of God being in a place, right? So he said, I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head. He set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, which means house of God. And what are some of the things? I want to just give you quickly four things that happen from this story in the house of God. This is the first house of God. This is the first time that a human being says, this is the house of God. There's some very interesting things that happened. Uh, first of all, there's angelic activity. So in this place, look at it, verse 12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending. In other words, the angels of God are transacting business for God in that place relative to who? Jacob, because he's the one laying there. The angels of God are ministering to him. The angels of God are watching over him. The angels of God are are stirring him in ways that are important that you and I will never know this side of heaven. The fact of the matter is that when we come into this place, there, this place is jam-packed with angels. And I don't want to make too much of that, but angels are always at the house of God. In a place where God is honored, angels are there for sure. You say, what are they doing? Well, they're doing angel things. <laughs> they're watching over you, protecting you, which for some of you, they have to do double duty. <laughs> Give them a nervous breakdown. They're delivering messages to you. You say, what do you mean delivering? Listen, I think angels do that in all kinds of ways. I think angels can do it. I think you can have angelic conversations. In fact, I've had people, and I've shared stories with you, of people who had conversations only to go look for the person, find they weren't there, and to end up really understanding there was an angel that appeared to them as a human being. That shouldn't surprise us. Hebrews says 
uh, be sure to entertain strangers, for in doing so, some have entertained angels unaware. So they, they appear in, and come into this place. They're, they're in this place. They're, they're guiding people. I mean, listen, Hebrews 1.14 puts it this way. Isn't it obvious that all angels are sent to help out with those lined up to receive salvation, those who will inherit salvation? They're ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. We don't know all that that means. David Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, because we are Christians, the angels of God are at our service. They are ministering spirits sent forth by God to serve and to minister to you and me. Though we are unconscious of this, they are exercising this ministry. We are surrounded by them. They are unseen, but they are there. And they minister to us because we belong to Christ. We sadly neglect and forget the service of angels, but if ever you feel lonely and bereft and feel that you do not know what to do, nor where to turn, remind yourself that your heavenly Father, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, has sent angels to minister to you as he did to him in the hours of his greatest crises and his greatest agony. Listen, I mean, you know, we don't know all that they do, but they're doing stuff all the time. And you can be sure this place, just like Bethel, with angels ascending and descending, that is happening in this place. I think we err if we try to figure all that out. I think we err if we get caught up in, in you know, um, being preoccupied with that. I think that's, I think the scripture's careful on that. And yet at the same time, I think we err if we don't acknowledge it. Because there's times when people will have encounters with angelic beings. So, you know, I mean, I think of a year ago, I'll tell you a story that I haven't told very many people, but I'll tell you, I've just spent a year or so, I'll tell you the story. So, you know, most of you know, I was diagnosed with cancer a year ago last March for the second time in seven months. So um, when I got the diagnosis, I was so shocked. I could not believe it. I was like, it was the last thing I thought I was gonna hear. But when I was on the table and they were doing the biopsies, I heard him talking and I told Debbie, I've got cancer. I said to the doctor, I've got cancer, don't I? And he said, we don't go there. I said, well, you already have because you just said this. And he said, we don't go there. And so I was like, okay. So he's, he's like, let us do the test. Let us get it back. But anyway, when I got the word, which was about the 20th of March, I mean, when it hit me, and I'm just gonna tell you this, because you know, I think sometimes you think, man, their faith's so strong, nothing ever bothers them. But for the first time in my life, I knew a despair I had never known ever in my life. I mean, I had never known what despair was, but I was in a state of just utter despair. Can't describe it other than to say that. So. Anyway, at that time, uh, we've got, you know, the men's, con we got Easter and we got the men's conference and we got, um, you know, things that I'm responsible to, to uh, take care of and, and promote. I think the new normal book was coming out. And so I just felt like, hey, I got to keep my eye on the ball. I just got to be, I got to get through this. And um, so we get out there and, and I have the surgery and, 
And uh, they tell me before they do it, they say, listen, it can be hard on you because it's your second time in, in seven months and it's gonna take a little longer to recover, so don't, don't think you're gonna do what you did last time. And then, you know the story, I, I got a subsequent infection and was hospitalized, and I mean, I had like a 105 temperature uh, a day after my surgery, and, and they take me by ambulance to the hospital. I mean, I'm passed out at the place where we're staying, and, and uh, they won't let Debbie in the hospital, and it's just kind of, um, um, you know, it, it, for a few days, I'm not even aware of what's going on. So I get out, and when I get out, we're, we're staying in a VRBO, and they tell us, you know, listen, you're gonna have to stay here for about 10 days. So, so I get there, and it's a Sunday night, and Kurt and Tammy were so kind to come out with Savannah. They came out and helped us, and, and kind of were with Debbie through all of that. But it's 12.30 on a Sunday night, and when I was in the hospital, I, I had, it all started with a splitting headache. And um, during, when I was in the hospital, I was on morphine, which is why, you know, I don't remember much of what happened in there. And whenever they asked, do you want some, I was like, sure. And so, you know, I took everything they offered. Anyway, they sent me home, and they're like, you can't give you morphine, but we're going to give you stuff. And then they put me on a super high-powered antibiotic, and it, they say it's going to cramp your legs, and don't stretch your legs, because it could snap your Achilles tendon. And, and they really warned me about this. I'm like, hey, you need to be really careful on this. So, so I'm, it's 12.30 at night. I feel absolutely horrible. And, um, you know, I've got the despair, I've got the, I've got the legs hurting, I've got the splitting headache, and I'm just laying in this, in this room, and I, I say, and I don't even know what prompted me to pray this way, other than you think of like Elijah, and, you know, he kind of says, God, if this is how it's going to be, let me die type thing, you know, have you ever, you've, sure, you've been there, we've all been there one time or another. <laughs> so anyway, I say, Lord, listen, I, I just want to, I need you to either let me, either send an angel to touch me or let me die. That's what I need. I, I just need you to do that. As I'm laying there, an angel walks in the room, puts his hand on me, and it's like a vortex of fire. And it starts at the bottom of my feet, goes all the way up over my head, back down, back up over my head, back down, and then he's gone. Instantly, my headache's gone. Instantly, my legs are different, and instantly, the despair left and never came back. It's a very, very... It's a very unusual experience. In fact, I couldn't hardly tell people. I told Kurt and Tammy, I think they were over the next night, and I told them, and you know, it's very emotional. Um, and still, I'm just simply saying, when you're in the house of God, all the more, who knows what happens, how that works. The Holy Spirit can touch us. I believe Jesus walks the aisles. I believe the, the Father can declare something. I believe sometimes he sends angels. Who knows how he does what he does. All of those things working together to touch us. It's a supernatural place. The second thing you have is you have the voice of God. You have God speaking. I mean, I want you to look at this. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I'll give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. And then he goes on and makes this promise that I'm with you, I'm going to watch over you, all of those things. 
When we're in the house of God, one of the things we need to anticipate is God's gonna speak to us. And what we have to do is we have to position ourselves not to debate what God is speaking, but to embrace what God is speaking. Because almost always it's, it's, it's either gonna require a faith response from us or it's going to speak to a place where we're at where, where we're gonna have to rest in the voice of God to us. And I mean, he could speak a thousand ways. He could speak through a song. They could be up here singing and there's a song and all of a sudden the lyrics, it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, that is exactly for you. That's my word for you right now. It could be a verse that, that is, is said in the message. It could, be, it could be there are times I believe as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking through me something at times different than what I'm saying, but he's speaking to you what you need to hear. You say, how, why, well, how could you say that? Because I stand in the hallway and people say, you know, you, you, you know what you said in there? And I said, what, what did I say? You said this and this and this. And it just so, it changed my life. It helped me and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say that, but the Holy Spirit said it. I mean, I know the Holy Spirit was talking to them because they left different, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how it's said. If you have a miracle of hearing, that's awesome, right? God is speaking. He might speak through the message. He might speak through a friend. He might speak through the still small voice. I'm just saying that when you're in the house of God, especially this is a place where God talks to people. His presence is his voice. So if you say, well, you know what? I I don't hear the voice of God. If you sense his presence, that's his voice. You say, what's it saying? I'm with you. I'm beside you. I see you. I know you. I care about you. His presence speaks those things to you. So when we're in this place, his presence alone is speaking to you. But then there's a thousand other ways that he can address you and encourage you. The voice of God is in the house of God. Number three, I want to move quickly so we can pray. The intersection, the house of God is the intersection of the natural and the supernatural. So we live in a natural world that is also a supernatural world. The problem is we can see the natural world with our physical eyes. We can't see the supernatural world. Paul says, so we fix our eyes not on the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal, right? Now watch this, Genesis 28. This is so interesting. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. A gate is is the means by which we go from one realm to another. So like if if you go out to the FedMed, I don't know if you ever visited out there, but you go through security and then they take you through these big iron doors that are like a gate. And when that thing shuts, you've gone from the realm of freedom to the realm of incarceration, even if you're just visiting. Because you're not getting out of there unless they decide to push the button, right? You're going from one realm to another realm. When you come in here, what happens is the natural realm, the supernatural realm, 
there is, this becomes a gate. This becomes a way in which we move from this world into that world in terms of receiving the things that we need from that world, right? Peace, encouragement, wisdom, direction, healing, deliverance, hope, all those things, everything that you and I would need, it's in the supernatural realm, but in the house of God, what happens is it's a gate by which we're able to access that realm. It's why in, in, in a moment, God can change your life. You're different. You came down to the altar, you left, you were different. I mean, we know that to be true. People come down in darkness and they leave in light. They come down unsaved, they leave saved. And all the different transformations that happen, whether it's in healing, whether it's, it's God working something that transforms their character and initiates a deliverance in their lifestyle, all those things. You come down not knowing what to do. You leave knowing what to do. How's that happen? You access the supernatural in the presence of God. This happens in the house of God uniquely so. Now, here's what's interesting to me. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway on there. So he has this dream. He sees it, but now he wakes up. And when he wakes up, he's not seeing anything. The dream's gone, dream's over. No stairway, no anything. All there is is a rock that he used as a pillow, right? And he sets it up and he anoints the rock and he says, that's the house of God. He can't see it with his physical eyes, but he saw it with his spiritual eyes and he declares it's real. Can't see a lot of things that happen in here, but they are as real as this podium. They're as, they're as real as real can be. Jesus as well described that, that verse in, in um, or that passage, Genesis 28, as being an open heaven. Jesus talked about it. Remember in John chapter one, he said this, Jesus said, you believe he's talking to Nathaniel. He says, you're an, you're an Israelite in whom there's no guile. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you before I met you. I saw you under the fig tree. And he says, you're, man, you are the son of God. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than these. Then he added, I'll tell you the truth. You'll see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, a direct reference to Genesis 28. What's the ladder? What's the bridge between heaven and earth? What makes it possible? Jesus. He is the means by which we're able to access the supernatural realm. And there's an open heaven. He called it an open heaven. You'll see heaven open. An open heaven, what's an open heaven about? An open heaven is about the presence of God on your life like you've never known it. That happens here. It's a place where there's an open heaven, where the presence of God comes down. Yes, the presence of God is on my life. The presence of God is in my home. The presence of God is in my prayer closet. But there is a unique 
manifestation of the presence of God in this place when we're together as the body of Christ that I cannot replicate on my own. Straight up, that's true. That's why we need both. That's why we need to be in church. That's why you made a great call coming tonight. It's an open heaven. God is here in an unusual way. You're seeing, you're understanding realities that aren't physically apparent. It's like Jacob with his dream. You know, and this is the thing. Sometimes you can have an encounter with God. You leave and you say, I wonder if I was really hearing, if that was really real. You, you have to settle in your heart. Man, I was in the house of God. And spiritual, supernatural things happen. And they're real. And whether I can see them, the next day or not, has nothing to do with the reality of their existence and their truth. An open heaven is the blessing of God. I mean, you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse of God and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. It's talking about in that passage, finance, but it's an open heaven and an open heaven is God blessing your life. It's a place of being close to God. It's a place where he demonstrates his power in our lives. It's him empowering us to partner with him, to carry out his will that it might be done. All those things happen in the house of God, uniquely so. And so anytime you come to church, what's the point of this? Well, tonight, who knows what God's gonna do? But anytime you come to church, he is here. He is uniquely here. He is powerfully here. He is supernaturally here. He is in this place. And that's why I get excited about coming to prayer meeting. That's why I get excited about church because I know he's here in a way that is unique. And when he's here, anything can happen and probably will.